0: Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hugan, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Yesterday we introduced the attribute of God's holiness from... A shorter catechism question. This is one of God's attributes. And today I want to reintroduce this attribute by by way of narrative. So in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, this is one of, of the greatest pictures of God's holiness in all of Scripture. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this and then we're just going to ask, you know, what, what's going on here? So here's Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory." Certainly, you've taught on this passage before. Can you walk through this passage with us us and help us to see what's happening here?
1: Well, in this passage, Isaiah is actually being called to ministry. Uh, He's coming before God. God's calling him directly into um, his prophetic ministry, and, you know, You might say that Isaiah was a a righteous and holy man in Israel. Uh, He was, uh, and the prophets themselves were known for their piety and their devotion to to God. But Isaiah is not confident in the presence of God. He goes into the presence of God, and you know he he catches this vision of God on his throne, and and. The, his robe fills the whole uh, temple i mean he, the god fills everything and so um isaiah recognizes his own impurity before god not that you know not was, it's not a, being melodramatic he you know here's it here's a, a, a man you know he, he's not a murderer he's not an adulterer he's not a, he's not an idolater and that and yet what does he point to? He says, "I'm a man of unclean lips." You know, he recognizes that you know, you know out of the heart the mouth speaks. He has he's he's sinful in his inner being, mm-hmm. and and so uh, he, you know, and he's um, he realizes that uh, the standard uh, creatures need to meet before a righteous God is perfection, mm-hmm. and even a slip of the tongue um, meant that. An atonement was required, and God would have to cleanse him. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of what's happening in that passage. There, I imagine there is more that we we could say. This is a place where you know the the attribute of God is uh, you know we we have it repeated three times. You know, once ought to be enough, but this is this is really the you know the the seraphim around the the throne, the angels. They you know they're they're created beings as well. Um, they're with, they don't have sin, and yet as a creative being, they cover their eyes, they cover their feet and say, holy, holy, holy. It's interesting that
2: um, Isaiah, when writing this, says that it's in the year that King Uzziah died, and, and Uzziah had been one of the the better kings, had done incredible things, had, had reigned actually for decades um so probably Isaiah is going into the to the temple for comfort to try to um, find a source of encouragement at, at this time, really in a, a national crisis within the land, and what he gets a vision of is that, yes, the earthly king had died, but the heavenly king is still on his throne, and the heavenly king is um, far superior to what Uzziah ever was. Um, that this king is high and lifted up. He's sitting. He's, He's sitting.
0: sitting. Yep. All of earth down below is on fire. I mean, Isaiah is probably losing his mind because this good king died, and God yep. is sitting.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that holy, holy, holy. We read that in 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 verse three and think, well, it's a once off. Well, it's not a once off. The the language here is that that is being repeated over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So we hear the try try. Uh, trice holy 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 and we think well they said it three times well they said it three times and then came back and said it three times and then came back and said it three times it's it's Mm -hmm. the it's the speech of heaven yeah Mm -hmm. um and the idea is that god is so holy that it's 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 immeasurable Mm -hmm. um there's no end to the praise that belongs to god because of this and we didn't we didn't read verse 6, but our – I'm sorry. You're right. No, in verse 5, we read verse 5. Um, Jonathan mentioned this. Isaiah is a prophet, and he pronounces a woe on himself. Mm-hmm. And what does he pronounce the woe for? Because he has unclean lips. This was the very strength of his life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, when he sees mm-hmm. God, it becomes the very source of his sin. The, the sinfulness of, of his being is in the very thing that everybody else would look at and say, well, Isaiah, you might be a lot of things, but not, not a person of unclean lips. Yeah. And, it, I mean, Isaiah 5 comes before this, and, and Isaiah has already pronounced six woes. Yeah. And the question is, where is the seventh woe? Where's the ultimate woe going to be pronounced against? And and you'd speculate. Well, it's got to be a different surrounding nation that's sinful, and that the ultimate woe is pronounced upon himself. Yeah. Um, if you want to hear more on that, I, I think Sinclair Ferguson had a beautiful. Um, expounding of this in the the service of R.C. Sproul's funeral. Mm. Um, this was the text that he gave a message on, and and it was absolutely
0: just a golden
2: um, exposition of, of this text.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, on these the seraphim. Um, it's so interesting. One of the ways – our listener, listener, listen. This is one of the ways that you uh, interpret and understand Scripture. Ask a bunch of questions. Why would these seraphim have six wings? Because God doesn't do things um, you know, needlessly. Um, in fact, R.C. Sproul, in his book on the holiness of God, he says, look, God's creatures are suitable for their environment. Birds have wings and they have light bone structures because the air is their habitat. Fish have gills, scales, and tails for underwater. And seraphim have an anatomy that is functional for their natural habitat, which is the presence of God. So think about what these, ser- these seraphim have six wings. They only need, I mean, if we're going to use the imagery here, they only need two to fly. But God gave them two extra, four extra wings, right? Two to cover their face. Because God's holiness is so bright that no unclean thing, no uh, morally imperfect thing, no infinitely imperfect thing. Mm-hmm. Thing can behold God without falling apart, and two to cover their feet, because just like when Moses was before the burning bush, they were in the presence of God. This is the this is the holy of holies, the holy ground. So God gave them extra wings just to tell us something about His holiness,
1: and and they can't bear to look directly at God. And we're we're fallen creatures, you know. They're unfallen creatures, um, and since unfallen creatures can't bear to look at the Almighty's glory, how much? more should sinners fear uh, his visage. And, and so we, we, we see this. In fact, Isaiah is going to say it at the end of the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 64, he says, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. And this is how he understood the infinite holiness of God and our depravity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he, here's the
0: one of the challenges of this narrative is that the narrative itself doesn't define what holiness is. It declares it. We see a picture of it. We see the effects of God's holiness. We see Isaiah saying, woe is me. He's basically saying, I'm damned. He's coming apart at the seams. Um, the smoke is filling the temple. There's an earthquake in heaven. But it doesn't help us to define holiness. How would you define God's holiness?
2: I, I actually think subtly the definition of holiness is embedded in the text um, because holiness really is is two aspects. One part of God's holiness is that he is um, separate, completely other um, than his creation. So it's this whole idea of a creature-creation, um, I'm sorry, creator-creature um, distinction, that God is and then this is where I think it's kind of subtly embedded in the in the text that God is high and lifted up um, as compared to us. Mm-hmm. There, there's this huge um, distinction and gap between us and God.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But the second part of holiness is it, God is pure. Mm-hmm. Um, that He is so holy that He cannot even look at sin. Mm-hmm. And we see that in the text when Isaiah is describing himself and in his description of himself, he in, in essence is saying, I know I'm unclean. I know I'm sinful because I've seen God. Mm-hmm. I've seen the Holy One that is pure and spotless and sinless Um so I think in the text is the definition, but it's just not as clean. It's a narrative and, form. Yes, it's a narrative form.
1: Right, and we said earlier that uh, you know there's really not there's not an understanding of the word holy in, in the dictionary, then not a synonym for it. But I think Russ is right when he talks about this is focusing in on the moral purity of God. his absolute um, purity. Uh, he's and his goodness in that purity. He's he's also set apart he's unique he's utterly different um you know one of the one of the aspects of holiness or being holy is to be set apart and he is ultimately set apart he's he's the most different or other in all of the universe and and so in one sense it's focusing in on his transcendence he's so far above us you know that uh, you know we focus on he's high and exalted as the text. Says he's unmatched in that power and glory and purity, and so it's hard to get a a real g- grasp, a, a definition, because there's a, there's a certain awesome mystery about it.
0: Yeah, you know, I would just say if, if you're listening to this message today, and you're a you're a preacher, you're a pastor, you're a communicator of the gospel, this is what people need to sense in our gospel preaching. The gospel that, you know, it's so popular today, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, has been gutted of the holiness of God. When Isaiah saw God in his holiness, he was sickened by his own corruption because he knew at that point that God is the purest eyes and he cannot look at evil. Once he saw the holiness of God like that, he knew that this God is a perfect hatred, of all sin and that he cried out for an atonement. That was the first thing that that Isaiah did. And, you know, I think that this is so critical to the way that we communicate the gospel. What, what our people need is they need to see God. If, you, if, if people are, 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 are not thirsty and they're not hungry for the gospel, it's because we're not giving them a right view of God.
1: Yeah, David, They're not
0: hungry yeah. for mercy if they don't see holiness.
1: David Wells, in his book, um, God in the Wasteland, um, he talks about how important it is to integrate uh, God's love and holiness into our view of, of God's character. He said, we often think of God's love and holiness in ways that are more cultural than biblical. Um, that's why it's hard to think of them together, he says. God's love as we conceive it today is about him filling us with inner comfort, always being there for us when and how we want him to and providing us with stuff. And then when we think of his holiness, um, We seem to understand him as being mean, cold, distant, and judgmental. The truth, of course, is that his holiness, his utter moral purity, includes his love, and his love is part of his holiness.
0: Amen. Well, we'll finish there, and we'll continue on this attribute tomorrow. We'll see you next time.